This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today, we have the returns of, he is a producer at BFM, he is Simway Boon. Hi, good to be back. It's great to have you. And he is Mr. Futurist, I call him that, uh, Matt Armitage. Matt, describe, what do you do? Uh, I'm a consultant. I had, I can't really, uh, I can't really remember what I do right now, to be perfectly honest. I've, uh, I've just recovered from COVID and my brain is full of fog. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I hope you're all right. Oh, we're gentle with you. Uh, but Matt knows tech like nobody knows tech. So uh, our three topics this week is, topic number one is, how come we are so fascinated by scammers? Topic number two is watching World War Three from Malaysia. And finally, topic number three is, should we bring back dinosaurs? So, uh, Sim, uh, scammers, how come we're so fascinated? Yeah, and that's my question to you guys. I mean, I don't know if you guys are fascinated by it, but I find myself drawn to all these TV shows, stories, podcasts, you know, about scammers and the stories about them, right? And and this, I mean, I know that there's like a, it's, it's, it's a, I think some would say it's a recent trend as well, you know, with shows like Inventing Anna, that one about that Tyrannos chick and ho-hos of others like a Tinder Swindler. But, you know, it's been going on for a while. I mean, you know, the, what some of the, more re- not more recent one, you know, but like one of my favorite movies, Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Twelve or whatnot. You know, really successful movies. And, you know, the kind of a narrative that's always been sold in these TV shows, in these stories, it's somewhat of, um, I want to say turning them to be heroes, but, you know, they, they, they aren't really the villains in the show. They aren't really villains in the popular culture stories that's being told, even though in the eyes of the law, they are. And I think this has created a, um, interesting uh, culture around this fascination, right? People always love to talk about it. People, and when they talk about it, they're not talking about it in uh, in disgust or maybe some fear about what it, if it might happen to you. But most of it is just this pure fascination. Some even have a flavor of admiration to them. So I was wondering, like, what you guys think about it? Are you equally fascinated, or do you guys um, abhor scammers? Well, Matt, you were nodding your head. Oh, I I watch a lot of these uh, true crime and uh, scammer shows. I mean, there's a fantastic one that I saw a few weeks ago called The Puppet Master. Yes, which, yes. Yeah, which I think is on Netflix. And that's about a guy who convinced a bunch of uh, students at an agricultural college in the UK in, I think, the 1990s that he worked for MI5 and that they were all under threat by the IRA. And he actually convinced them to run away from college And he kept them under his control, split them up, put them in different places. And he kept some of them under his control for more than 10 years. He convinced them that the the MI5 couldn't pay for their their protection anymore. So they were working dead-end jobs and giving all their money to him. And he essentially had all of these people dotted around the country uh, in ramshackle uh, houses and squats, just working and feeding money back to to him. And he was eventually convicted for it, came out, and he's done the whole thing over again. He's uh, (laughs) gotten together. Yeah, he's gotten together with another woman. She's um, separated herself from her kids and her family, and they've disappeared. So they had this three-part Netflix special, and they've no idea where this woman is. Well, I, you know, when I switch on Netflix and I look at what's on offer, yeah, there are all of these scammer shows. Let's call them. Let's call them scammer shows, uh, or um, shows about serial killers. 
And oftentimes, of course, the serial killers are themselves uh, narcissists, uh, sociopaths who are sort of charming in their own strange, horrible way. Got cartoons or so? Uh, I think we are cartoons compared to the <laughs> complexity of the arguments that they put in people's heads. But I don't watch them because it's like, oh, is that just what another one? Come on, got to be something about something else. Okay, when was the last um, scam or like a grifter show or book or something like that that you've consumed? Uh, me? Um, I, I can't think. Off the top of my head, I, I, I read a lot of um, John le Carre and there's always a scammer character in that, which is based on his own father. He grew up in a, in a household with a con man. But I think we need to note that these stories are coming, these are Anglo-American generated stories. Uh, so culturally... I think it makes a lot of sense in that landscape. In human nature, you, you, you require a little bit of trust, but capitalism also, in order to operate, you've got to have some trust and you need to know who can you trust, who can't you trust. So I guess well, it's a self-help thing as well. Yeah, I, I don't think they're all necessarily coming from that, that kind of Anglo direction. I mean, there was a, a great BBC World Service one recently called The Lazarus Heist, which is about uh, North Korea's attempts to pull off the biggest banking heist in history and use this network of players around the world and try to launder the cash through banks in uh, uh, in the Philippines and in casinos in, in Philippines. I'm not saying that the scamming is exclusive to Anglo-American world, but the fascination for it perhaps is. Because, you know, in, in this country, we have scammers, but we don't talk about them. We do, we do. And we are equally fascinated, although the fascination might come from a different angle, right? You know, I think these are closer to home, right? Like 1MDB, you know, for example, you know, it's been written about, a, a movie's going to come out or whatnot and stuff like that, right? Um, there is the fascination about it in locally as well. I mean, we're all fascinated about it. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, but I think it hits closer to home because then you reach to the point where, you know, you, you're fascinated uh, at the first five minutes, then you're like, wait a minute, this is my money. This is my tax <laughs> money. Oh, like, you know, yeah. So I think when you shift that, narr- that, that discussion to like, you know, it being Anglo, it being more Asian, I think when it hits closer to home, then the feelings change, right? It goes from fascination to wanting to know more to wanting to see justice being done because somehow or rather you you might be related to it. But, you know, that aside, we there are a lot of scammers in uh, in this world. And, you know, if you're going to zoom out uh, and talk about kind of crime in general, I think over here in this side of the world, we have a huge fascination with like heist triads, you know, um, gang uh, related type and and I'm talking about like you know those Hong Kong movies that also mm-hmm. also um, uh, creates a very kind of like hero and admirable mm. depiction of criminals right so I, I don't think that there is a kind of like maybe some angles change but I think at the end of the day you know where I'm coming from is why I think we're fascinated is because secretly I think all of us want to do what they're doing all of us wants to be able to skirt by the law. All of us want to be that smart, you know. That's that. Not, not all the time, though. Just not all the time. Yeah, just you know, one off. Is that is that thing where like, oh, I wish I could have thought of that because you are watching them getting away with it, right? Because it's an experience, right? As you're reading the book, as you're listening to the podcast, as you're watching the TV show, you know, the start is like, wow, this is crazy. Then you go like, oh, it's it was actually a simple idea. I wish I thought of that. You know, I would do that. Only up till the end when you see them either go to jail, lose their loved ones or whatever, then you're like, mm, okay, maybe not. But 
you know in reality you're not going to do that but I, I guess a part of it where I'm coming from is like secretly I think we all want to live our life like that want to or at mm. least emulate that or know yeah. someone like that that's close to you that you you you're, you you know you can touch it or you, know, you can feel it I don't know I think this is more of a window onto your personality sim cuz I'm yeah. completely <laughs> the opposite of that I I don't feel that yeah, at I'm all when I watch sim. it yeah, yeah I, I mean I enjoy watching them because uh, it goes back to something that that Cam was saying about the elements that are always in fiction a lot of these stories are, are more fantastical than a lot of the the fiction. So I've been watching um, some of the the Sherlock episodes recently, but, you know, he's a a high-functioning sociopath, the Benedict Cumberbatch version. But when you compare him to the kind of high-functioning sociopath in The Puppet Master, there's no comparison. You know, just the, the sheer level of deception and trickery that's going on. Most writers can't create those kind of characters that's that's the enjoyment for me not trying to be like them we must move on but we've did all this thing about scammers and never said trump once well it's the president what are you talking about <laughs> well he's the ex-president but but i mean you, you look at you look at the level of uh con mannery there it's just it's really grubby and it's not if you actually look at the reality of it as opposed to a fiction an ocean's 11 it's really grubby and kind of spray tanned and horrible there's multiple angles to look at him, right? You look, if you, I look at him from Trump as the ex-president angle, right? He has elevated himself to not just being a con man. He is a propagandist, you know. Mm. Um, he is a... I mean, say what you will, but, you know, at some levels, it was quite a masterful politician tactic, right? You know, okay. being able to convince so many people to believe in something that maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, you would think, to, you, you would be like, this is crazy. No one would ever believe that. Yeah. But yeah. the things that came out of his mouth... And he managed to play it in such a way that it's like, that's normal. I don't know. It's, it's fine. But also, I, I think it helps that his thoughts happen in 240 characters. Exactly. So he is perfect for Twitter. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, we've got to move on. Enough Trump. Uh, actually, there might be some more Trump coming up. I don't know. Uh, uh, topic number two, watching World War Three unfold from Malaysia. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've been obsessing over the war in Ukraine. And uh, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. But it reminds me, when I first came back to Malaysia, back in 1990, 91, I can't remember, I arrived in the middle of the first Gulf War. And so I left Britain, where I was living. And, of course, it was wall-to-wall news saturation there. But, you know, Britain had troops in the Gulf War, so it, it made sense that they'd be watching it. I arrived here very pre-internet age and there was nothing there was absolutely nothing there was like barely a whisper in the newspapers nothing on tv there was no satellite tv in those days so i bought a shortwave radio and i tried to listen to the world service and i couldn't hear a damn thing but i was kind of like struck by how people in malaysia were like not interested um and i was like no you must be interested you have to be interested this is like world moving moment uh but as as time went by i realized that it wasn't kind of interesting because in Malaysia, as opposed to in the UK, in, in the UK, the, the news media would lead you to believe that you are somehow able to make an impact on this, that you're knowing this can make a difference. Whereas here in Malaysia, you know, you can't do anything about it. You cannot impact the events at all. Um, that That's how I felt then. And, but now, you know, the internet has come along, but I still maintain that kind of sense of personal futility 
which I kind of find liberating because I think of a friend of mine in, in London and he's watching the news all the time, listening to the, listening to the radio, talk radio all the time. And it's not just Ukraine, it could be whatever. And he's just so on edge the whole time because they, they want you on edge. But here, it's like, eh, whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you, you guys have been reacting, not necessarily just to Ukraine, but to global events, you know, and, and it's great because you know, Matt, you're, you're one time, once upon a time from Britain yourself mm. and Sim, you're <clears throat> local boy through and through. Uh, I don't know. How do you, did you feel a sense of that you're involved in any way? No, not, not really. I'm, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I, I, I make a deliberate effort not to read too much of the, the Ukraine conflict. And I, I do the same with a lot of, uh, you know, rolling news. I try not to get too involved in it because I, I know that you, you Cam, you uh, read a lot of uh, uh, history stuff and you're quite interested in um, periods of conflict. And I, I am as well. And when you read those histories, a lot of the stuff that happens on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't really matter. You see those trends developing over, uh, developing over weeks and months and whatever. So I think to try and maintain that perspective, you have to not immerse yourself in every single detail coming out. I mean, the, the stories coming out of Ukraine are absolutely horrific, and especially those personal stories. I mean, that's one of the things that we get from this age of social media, to see these individual perspectives that we've not seen in, in most conflicts before. But you can, you know, you, you can kind of mentally drown in all of that coverage, and I do make an effort to give myself a little bit of distance. Hmm. Sim? I can't give myself the distance because my day job involves me um, diving into these global events, you know, but it's also part of a deeper fascination that I have because I myself, I think I'm somewhat the opposite of Matt where I do get really fascinated by these stories. I do read into it and because part of my job is to find people, uh, get analysis and discuss these stories, right, for the Morning Run show. So, you know, like when the Ukraine-Russia uh, crisis happened you know over here in malaysia i was reaching out to the ambassadors ukrainian ambassador russian ambassador you know we were trying to understand we we're trying to figure out if we know anyone there what's it like you know i was on twitter i was on facebook you know i was on discord reddit just trying to gather as much information but again you know because a part of my job these aren't just um sudden i think for a lot of people a lot of regular people that don't read news as much or, you know, they, just, they have day jobs, they just go day by day, right? These type of things happen, it's like a drop, right? You know, they're just like, oh, no, 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 boom, oh, wow, something happened in Ukraine. Or boom, this thing happened, right? But as for me, because we've been, in part of my job is to keep touch with this issue, this thing for me is uh, kind of something that's brewing. When it happens, you're like, oh, wow, it finally happened. Oh, wow, he actually did that, right? So it doesn't come as a shock to my system like somewhat uh, other people would. And because of that, like, I can't... I wouldn't say I detach myself or I I can't be, like, go in and out like that, you know. For me, most of the time, it's, like, it's in the periphery, in the background, and then when it comes out, I kind of, like, just deal with it, right? But, again, I do think that these things do have effect on kind of, like, the way you view the world, I guess, you know, because I would say me versus uh, the ten, 10 years ago me, which is, like, fresh, young, and totally naive, right? You know, my worldview has really changed and, you know, for the better or for the worse, you know, you see things in a less, in a more realistic way is what I would see, right? You know? But but I, I would say though, Seb, that you are in the business of packaging 
the news. You're not necessarily. It gives you a sense of emotional distance. I'm a filmmaker myself, yeah, yeah. done documentaries, and I know that when I'm in a situation, if I'm looking through the camera, I'm much more brave than than if I'm if I don't have a camera. Then I want to run away. <laughs> um, but I, I want to say I want to ask though, since the Gulf War, you know, we and internet, we have we can have real saturation now, and we can choose it ourselves. We don't just. It's not just a case of sitting in front of the TV. Not exactly because. I think one of the fascinating things about how the Ukraine-Russia conflict has come out is how it's being narrated by various different facets of the community region, right? The West has a certain narrative to paint it. The uh, China, Asia has a different way to paint it. So you can't really choose because sometimes it's kind of like packaged and presented to you in a biased manner. So you might think you're choosing or you might think that you are getting what you think is the right narrative, but that might not exactly be true at the end of the day, no, right? What I was I was going to ask though about not necessarily the truth or not, but the emotion that now we have a situation where fact and fantasy uh, we don't necessarily know, but sometimes we can actually choose the fantasy and say I want to believe the fantasy, but it's emotion. They they they're telling the story in such a way that you're, you're drawn emotionally. You're not just sort of saying oh bombing happened today, X number of bombs. No no you you are shown emotional stories and, and and that really you know your your chemicals are flowing through your body all the time I, I i agree with cam in that sense it can be quite difficult to actually just find factual reporting especially when you look at the televised media because there is this as cam said it, it you go straight for the emotional you go straight for the personal story you're tugging on people's heartstrings so you're not necessarily giving people the full picture you're showing them the horror of a particular moment or a particular action but they're not necessarily getting the the wider picture or the the uh, the, the picture of what's happening on the ground i mean i've been watching some cnn coverage recently and they really struggle to show what's happening tactically uh, between the the Ukrainian and the the Russian forces, uh, they bring on the generals to explain, and they have these big interactive TVs, but they don't seem to get the message across. They, you know, you watch it, and it's kind of like watching a, a presentation from somebody who's just started at a company. They're flipping backwards and forwards through pages. They're redrawing circles here, there, and everywhere. Whereas when you go back to the kind of coverage that you would have seen in the, the 80s or the 90s, where you'd have a lot of static maps and a lot of graphics on the, on the map, that was a lot more straightforward for people to understand. Yeah, but then we all had the same story. We were all being given the same truth. Absolutely. But that's, that's what I mean about it. it's getting harder and harder to find this kind of purely factual coverage because every... Fact attainment. Well, yeah, ex exactly. So does this mean that these truths have always been kind of hard to attain anyway? Because like you referenced, before I was born in the 70s, 80s, you were only being fed one kind of truth, right? That's what Cam said. And right now, mm. there's so many different angles. You don't know where to choose from, you know. So it kind of really doesn't help the situation anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, I always choose to to listen to um, what you have packaged, Sim. Thank you. Uh, as a source of ultimate truth. <laughs> Um, but okay, we're going to move on. Uh, but I want to ask very quickly, very, very final question. So therefore, um, I, I found that I, I, because of my experience of having lived here for the last, what, 30, 40 years, I can and do kind of switch off a certain emotional response. I'm not, I'm not overly saturated. And so I can view it and I don't get too upset, I don't think. Um, but you two, are you, I mean, not necessarily just Ukraine, but I mean, are you, so, 
I mean, Matt, you've already said that you try to stay away and, and keep a distance. No, I mean, I try to be dispassionate and also because I don't really consume any Malaysian news anyway. My news sources are all foreign. I mostly follow US news because that's sort of what has the largest global impact. So I don't really consume from any local news sources no. and I don't consume. I mean, I, I can't tell you who's in the Malaysian cabinet. Now, I know that that might be appalling, but it's not something that I consume. So most of the news I follow is US based, a little bit Australia based, a tiny bit kind of uh, UK based, but most of it is kind of, I, I try and follow sort of global stories rather than local, if you know what I mean. And, sure. and when I say local, I mean local at every level in every country. All right. Local newsman, Tim. Oh, well, um, I'm too busy to have a emotional connection because something happens, I'm covering it, I'm looking into it, and then something else happens and I'm like, I need to focus on that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I would, you know, it's it, I can't step away because I'm constantly in it and because I'm constantly in it, I have to be on my toes for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, uh, okay, so uh, I don't know. Don't, I don't know if you, yeah, okay, you help me. I, 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 I can I can breathe easier now, but in a moment we're going to be asking the the, the the truly vital question, which is, do we need to bring dinosaurs back here on a bit of culture BFM eighty nine point nine? And we're back with myself, Cam Rusland, Simway Boone, and Matt Armitage, who is going to ask and presumably answer the question: Do we need to bring dinosaurs back, Matt? Can we bring dinosaurs back? Well. Theoretically, we can bring dinosaurs back, or at least part of them. Now, where this all came from, uh, I finally watched uh, the movie Jurassic World when I uh, had COVID a few weeks ago. And I'd kind of not gotten into the whole Jurassic Park movie phenomenon. I wasn't really watching a lot of movies in the, the 1990s, so it just kind of passed me by. And then I saw a story recently about the efforts to bring back extinct species, not particularly or specifically dinosaurs, using those CRISPR gene editing tools. There are companies like Colossal in the US that are trying to bring back the woolly mammoth, not quite a dinosaur, but a long extinct species. Uh, there's the Tiger Lab at the University of Melbourne. They're trying to bring back the uh, Tasmanian tiger. And uh, a consortium in Europe called Rewilding Europe, they're trying to bring back those giant cattle called aurochs, uh, but they're not using sort of DNA techniques. They're using uh, a technique called backbreeding. But the story that I saw, it's a, a new paper from researchers at the University of Copenhagen, and it suggests that maybe bringing these species back isn't as simple as having that great DNA sample. Uh, they did some tests to revive a species called the Christmas Island brown rat, but they found that they only had around 95% of the genes from the DNA samples that, uh, that they had. So even when they used a reference species, they used a close ancestor, which is the Norwegian brown rat, around 5% of those genes were missing. And it turned out that those were pretty crucial genes. Uh, they were genes that uh, would be used for recreating the rat's immune system and also for its recreating its ability to smell. So they could actually take those senses, or, or those genes rather, uh, from the uh, Norwegian brown rat. But the thing that they bring back won't be a Christmas Island rat. It would actually be a kind of hybrid. It would be 
essentially a new species. So one of the lead researchers uh, at the Copenhagen team, a guy called Tom Gilbert, said that, you know, that's not necessarily a problem. Uh, it just depends on why you want to bring those species back to life. So given that I've just watched Jurassic Park, should we try to bring dinosaurs back, especially if the animals we bring back will only be part Velociraptor or T-Rex and not a pure Velociraptor or T-Rex? Should we be trying to recreate all of these extinct species? Well, I've got to say, first of all, Matt, there was a bit of, bit of clickbait going on there. Of I course was... there's clickbait. <laughs> I've been doing this for years. I was promised dinosaurs. I got the new got Norwegian brown rat. <laughs> Well, no, they used the, uh, the, uh, the, the Christmas Island rat because uh, they oh, have... They're rats anyway, okay? They, they're rats. They don't, they don't want to bring the, the rat back. They were just using it as a test to see how much of a species that you could bring back because they're applying it to uh, these other CRISPR projects that are going on. As I said, the, the woolly mammoth, the Tasmanian tiger. Uh, and of course, people do want to bring dinosaurs back. It's one of these rare areas where... Uh, scientific research and sort of uh, uh, popular consciousness kind of collide. People are interested in reviving these these species that we only see as giant skeletons in in museums. I mean, yeah. you, you know, we we know the popularity of these animals. So, if we are able to revive extinct species, should we be trying to bring back creatures like? The dinosaurs. Yeah, well, I, I'm all for it. But if if a pterodactyl turns out to be better at presenting radio shows than me, then you know, no, I don't. I know we we cannot help allow that in the job market. But uh, Sim, are you uh, in favour of? Um... I think it depends on why you're bringing it back, right? If you're bringing it back to just to have a theme park, then you know one of them is going to get loose, and the whole story. <laughs> yeah, well, you've seen the movies, right? But. <laughs> In an effort to solve world hunger, maybe you can bring back one of those dinosaurs that's not that harmful. Or, you know, in an, uh, if, a military, if a military want to release velociraptors with laser um, <laughs> laser beams in their eyes and all, you know, I'm very sure they'll figure out a way to do it, right? You know, and again, you know, I think uh, I'm not sh exactly sure, but it sounds like the companies that Matt said are private companies. Uh, no, some of them are private. Uh, the, uh, the European and the um, Australian one is University of Melbourne, and it's um, EU funded, I think, for the, uh, the European project. I don't know about the EU funded one, but you know, private companies, that's usually the start of it, right? Where the evil corporation will break the ethical laws and just brings up. So even if we're having this debate, it is not going to really matter because if they want to do it, they will do it. The question is, why are they doing it, right? And I think I can live with it if they're bringing it back for kind of like more low blood purposes, you know, to figure out world hunger, um, you know, things that might benefit mankind, right, it, as a whole. But if they're doing it just because they're fascinated by it, then that's a lot of money going into something just for something that you're going to watch or look at. I, I would stick at. suggest also that I mean, we as humans are destroying animals, uh, obliterating animals on a daily basis. Yeah. So I'm assuming also that that this would be an attempt to, I don't know, sort of resurrect newly terminated creatures as well. In mankind has always taken the step where, like, we'll figure it out later, right? So, yeah. you know, environmentalist conservationists will tell you, you know, let's, let's stop harming the animals, let's stop the extinction, right? But if, if they can actually bring back an extinct animal, then they're just going to say, oh, it's all right, we'll bring them back, you know? Yeah. So, Matt, you asked the question. Why do you, you answer the question then, Matt. 
Well, I mean, that was one of the reasons I, I asked the question. I mean, the, the issue is, I think, can we stop it? Because we've got a lot of laws in place that uh, stop cloning, for example. But a, a Chinese scientist was imprisoned in 2019 for, I think, cloning, I think it was three three babies. And we've heard reports, I think there was an Italian scientist as well who claimed to uh, uh, have cloned children. So laws are not necessarily going to stop people from doing these things. And when we talk about CRISPR technology, it's very, very cheap. What we kind of forget is that with these techniques, CRISPR techniques, you can do gene editing at home for as little as 30 US dollars. The, the precursor chemicals are, are very, very cheap. So will we be able to, to limit this technology? I mean, f for me, I'm kind of with Sim in that I think there's value there if we're bringing back kind of recently extinct species. I don't think we should necessarily be delving too far into to history uh, to revive sort of long dead species because they're not going to fit back into the ecosystem anyway. But the, the ecosystems have, have changed and moved on. I mean, what would be the purpose of bringing back a woolly mammoth? You can see why someone might want to revive the Tasmanian tiger because they only died out, I think, in the 1920s. But a woolly mammoth that died out thousands of years ago, what kind of natural habitat is there left for it to to inhabit? So I do think we have to be very careful about the species we revive. And also we have to bear in mind that these species are not going to be the exact species that died out because there will be missing information from any genetic samples that we have. So that woolly mammoth would just be a a rat with lots of hair. <laughs> well, it, it would actually, its closest ancestor apparently is the, um, the Asian elephant, uh, surprisingly, given the, the, the size of the thing. But um, I think it could only serve to be a, an animal in a, a private zoo. I mean, that is the one that's being revived by a private corporation. So they do obviously have some financial motivation for, for bringing that creature back to life. I still feel I was promised dinosaurs. <laughs> I can't, can't get over it. I'm sorry. I'm sure they'll. I'll sure they'll figure it out and bring one back. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can you can have dinosaurs, but that's what I'm saying. Which dinosaurs do you want? Do you want a pterodactyl that can uh, uh, fly from place to place and eat everything it sees and basically be the the dragons from uh, Game of Thrones, or do you just want to to bring back the the smaller sort of more cuddly? dinosaurs that we can uh, effectively control I, I don't know put them all on the theme park i'll go visit them and i'll, and I'll choose them <laughs> that's going to be an expensive wrong. theme park <laughs> i mean but but that's the point would we have to clone chris pratt if we brought back dinosaurs most likely we have to we still got chris pratt why why do you want to well you might need more of him yeah i mean you know if you've got more than one jurassic park you might need more than one chris pratt oh, okay i haven't thought of that well what do they do with mickey mouse um okay so uh all right well okay well folks you decide for yourselves um te the technology is coming you you reckon it's going to happen then this is going to happen no i mean they're all they're already doing it i mean these companies are already working to bring these these animals back and we're getting more and more advanced with the the crispr technology pretty much every day i mean when you think about uh crispr technology has only existed for about 10 years and they're already able to bring back something like the Christmas Island rat, which, of course, nobody wants, and they're not going to repopulate the island with. But we can already 
revive species. It's just a question of which species we choose to revive and why we do it. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, we, we must move on, running out of time, but I would just say that you kept saying CRISPR technology and I nodded like I knew what you were talking about <laughs> because the CRISPR is the bottom drawer of the fridge where, that I never visit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did actually prepare a, a little guide for how CRISPR technology works, but that would take us a good 20 minutes okay, or so, well that, so I yeah, might skip with, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Just so, go Google uh, it, guys. Go, yeah, go Google it. Google <laughs> it. Um, okay, well, that brings us to the end of that part. So now we go to um, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Sim goes first. Yeah, um, totally unrelated to whatever we've been saying, but uh, I recently came back from Kuantan, and I do recommend you know those that have the time, those that feeling like taking a road trip, do you know go to Kuantan. It's really cool. I've not been in a very long time, and uh, recently I've been going. You know, I've taken a few trips there. Uh, slowly kind of like, you know, discovering the spot, you know, nice place, uh, lot, lots to eat. You know, hiking there is really nice. There's a river there. Um, so, yeah, you know, go check it out and just, I guess, yeah, discover Kuantan, you know, Chuti Chuti Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to spend a fair bit of time in Kuantan. It's it's, 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 it's changed place. a lot. It's, I, I, I did live in Kuantan like 10, no, maybe tw- not 20, but 15 years ago. You, you lived there? Yeah, for like a short period of time because uh, I think I was like, eight or nine like that you know my dad was working there for a short bit and then we moved to KL I have very faint memories of it but from what I can remember are just like you know it's 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 not KL it's it's the complete opposite of KL right it's more um, I wouldn't say kampong but it's more you know smaller scale um, not as many shopping malls not as many cafes or whatnot but now now when you go you know you you have those fancy uh, KL looking like cafe selling you sort of bread but at the same time next to it you have a really nice warong that serves like really good nasi dagang and you know really good nasi krabu and um, I think it's great and uh, for me what's fascinating every time you I leave Slango KL is that you know over here when you're going to visit a friend and let's say you live in like Bangsa but then you're going to visit a friend in Ampang it's like uh, okay yeah sure you know and then you take a half hour drive you go to traffic it's like 45 minutes whereas like when you go to somewhere like Kuantan or even where I'm from Miri right um from one end to the other end is 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, far to them is a 15-minute drive, right? So I've always found that 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 kind of like a jump in terms of time and distance to always be fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Kuantan, well, I, I kind of feel like it's like the gateway to the East Coast. It is, it is, it is, yeah. Okay, yeah. Even the drive there is nice, especially if you go through the older routes instead of taking the new highway. Oh, I hate the Karak Highway with a vengeance. You know, the, the new highway, you see just the really cringy... Uh, billboards that try to sell you really weird, I don't face know, medicine, face creams yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> but if you go through the more smaller roads, the old roads that takes you like maybe an extra hour, you you see the kampongs, you see the stalls, you see all the, you know, um, it's it's much more eventful to see, you know, you, you see like, uh, um, not farms, but I don't know, like plants and trees and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, so it's, yeah it's, it's, plants it's and trees. Really... Yeah, yeah, that's the technical term. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look over there, plants and trees. Um, okay, so that's uh, uh, Sim's yeah. uh, recommendation. Go to Kuantan, is, go to Kuantan, have fun. Go to Kuantan, okay, cool. Uh, my recommendation is, in light of the fact that um, the horrors of the news and the fact that, yes, actually, Sim, whenever I switch on um, Netflix and everything else to try and get something some something di- diverting my mind, it's always scammers and serial killers. And it's, I'm just desperate for something that isn't, that's something that's that's entertainment that's funny i mean you know call me shallow 
But uh, so I, I, I reached back and I found a show that was, it's a, it's a British show actually, and it was on quite a few years back. <clears throat> it's called Plebs. Um, uh, are you familiar with it, Matt? Yeah, it's the Roman one, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's a comedy about young people going to ancient Rome. I mean, they're from ancient Rome. It's not time travel. Um, but it could also be, you know, young people moving to a big city now. And um, it's it's really funny. It's very funny. <laughs> the first three seasons, anyway. Very funny. And uh, so that's my recommendation. If you can find it, Plebs, it's called. And, um, yeah, it's funny. If you ever watch the show The Inbetweeners, then... Ooh, mm. I love that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very much in that kind of... Okay. So it's, Rome, it's a Roman era in between us then but but the people are a little bit older than the in between in between is a school age yeah, the, yeah, yeah. these are a few years older than that so that's my recommendation and uh matt what's yours mine is uh, not dissimilar to yours mine is actually terry pratchett um since uh, the ukraine crisis i've been diving back into terry pratchett's book as a a kind of escape and it's similar kind of thing you're watching uh, a kind of steampunk type society being built i've think in the last couple of weeks i've read uh, night watch raising steam thud i'm currently going through going postal my aim for this year is to try and get through uh, all of his books again i haven't read all of them i've read the majority of them but i'm going to try and uh, reread as many of his uh, books just for pure escapism and the joy of his writing Escapism, that's the thing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. No, absolutely. No, I highly I, recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I, I go to sleep uh, every night listening to one of his uh, audiobooks and I wake up generally happy. Hmm. Mm. Uh, very prolific, wasn't he? Uh, I think there are 40-something of them, so I might <laughs> not get through all of them this year, but I'm getting through two or three a week, so it's it's possible I could do it. Okay. So uh, just, the recommendation is just, in general, Terry Pratchett. Just Terry Pratchett. Discworld is uh, nice stuff, but there's uh, his uh, nonfiction stuff as well. He used to write technology reviews, uh, so you can find uh, uh, collections of some of his journalism as well. Anything that he uh, committed to paper is worth reading. Uh, Sim, are you, from, are you a Terry Pratchett kind of guy? I, I've not read like a lot of his books, so... I wouldn't say, I, I not even know he reviews technology writing. So yeah, I mean. I'm well, he, he doesn't anymore. He's been dead for seven years. But yeah. um, so his, his technology, ones, so. yeah, his right. technology's a, a bit on the old side now. Yeah. No, but it's fun to read that, right? Someone yeah. No, it, it something is. Old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just for the way he phrases things. Yeah, but I mean, back when we were in Esquire camp, I used to read the old, old, old ver versions of Esquire from where I can find them. And they're always fascinating. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Terry Pratchett. So that brings us to the end of this week's show, and it only remains for me now to thank special guests, Sim Weiboon. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great to see you. And Matt Armitage. Thank you for having me. And I hope you are re fully recovered, recovering from your COVID bout. Yeah, just a bit raspy and coffee, but otherwise okay. Yeah, I, I had it myself a couple of weeks back, a few weeks mm. back. Sim, are you? have you... Uh, I don't want to um, jinx myself, but no, so, so still far, so one line since March 2020 until now. Mm -hmm. Okay, one line. Keep we'll it that way. Keep it that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Don't recommend it. Okay, so um, well, thank you very much, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of a bit of culture here on BFM 89.9.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.